0: Welcome to the Science and Paranormal with Dr. Yana and Dr. Elliot, where science meets the unexpected, where we delve deep into the mysteries that straddle the line between scientific inquiry and paranormal. Get ready for a mind-altering journey as we embark on this phenomenal discovery together on United Public Radio Network, 107.7 FM. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are coming to you live on United Public Radio Network, 107.7 and 105.3 FM. We are here with your hosts, um, Dr. Yana, and this is Dr. Elliot. With the show Science and the Paranormal. And today we have a magnificent topic for you, fascinating topic on demonology whether demons exist or we have made it all up. Let's find out.
1: It's good to be back. Feels like it's been forever.
0: Why is that? We were just here last week. How come?
1: i know i know it feels like it took us forever to get back on uh maybe i was just excited about demonology
0: we were lost in space <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah no i just uh i just actually finished uh teaching a pair uh demonology course um with my organization paranormal phenomena research investigation this uh fall we launched uh online school uh called the parapsychological Parapsych- education center uh, where we teach online parapsychology courses. But one of the courses that uh, we decided to to run was an introduction to demonology course. Um, I've taken a couple of uh, academic courses in demonology, one from University of Glasgow and another one from... Uh, where was the other one? It was another one over in the UK. It was Glasgow and uh, I think uh, University of Edinburgh, actually. Um Which was uh, which was really fascinating, but uh, no, it was uh, it was a good course, good course to teach.
0: I know that uh, your students had to write a paper.
1: Yes, uh, so what I had them do was um, in that course I had them write a paper on uh, one of four demonology kind of well-known cases. Uh, There was the Annalise Michelle case. There was. I did include the Enfield Poltergeist case, even though it was more poltergeist and kind of have them like dissect it and find out what they thought was, you know, supernatural, what they thought was uh, could be natural phenomena. And then tell me why the case they thought, you know, um, had like a demonic influence to it. So uh, it was really interesting. I think everyone really enjoyed the course. And uh, I know I've got a few people that want to take it. uh, next time we run it which will probably be in january so uh yeah it uh it'll, it'll be good it's fun to teach too i i learn stuff too from students you know they'll bring up a case maybe i i hadn't heard of before or um a concept and uh yeah it's it's great and the networking as well i find uh it's important you always you know get to network with other other people in the field and you know um, i met no. some great great people this past semester uh, some great students that i had
0: now, are your students primarily in Canada or are they are international students as well?
1: Most, most of them have, actually. But uh, one, one student that I have right now um, doing the Poltergeist course is over in uh, Italy. So uh, he, he watches the uh, – it's a flexible program. I designed it to be flexible because I remember, you know, when I joined the Royal Canadian Man of Police, I was tr- trying to finish my Bachelor of Arts in Criminology. And uh, I had gone off to be a trained police officer. And then once I finished, I finished my degree Uh, and I had to do it one course per semester because I was working full time and I was working shift work. So I understand the need to be flexible. So what I ended up doing is um, creating this online uh, flexible learning where we do a live lecture once a week. but. Uh, if you can't make it, then you can watch the pre-recorded version, you know, and you have a week to catch up and do your discussion question and your readings before we uh, get to the get to week two.
0: No, Dr. Elliott, if anyone uh, would be interested in it, uh, the, um, whoever is listening to us or viewing us online, if anyone would be interested, can they also take that course in January?
1: yeah yeah um it'll be posted probably soon because like i said we have this week we finish up our intro to parapsychology course and then the week after that we finish up our poltergeist course and then we'll probably start advertising for our courses in january so um keep keep an eye out in the next two weeks uh at ppri.net and you'll see um you'll see those advertised
0: well fantastic fantastic so if anyone is interested, please check this out and uh, definitely take the course because it's very informative and it covers so many different historical theories and not just uh, the modern uh, understanding of demonology. So you will learn where demons come from, where the concept itself comes from, and how it transformed up to our days, to our modern days. So please check it out.
1: Yes, for sure. Uh, You know, we start off talking about ancient, you know, ancient demonology, um, which is one of the academic courses that uh, I had taken from uh, either uh, Glasgow or Edinburgh. Um, But we can link stories about demons going as far back as the first uh, documented civilization back in Mesopotamia. Um, In fact, one of the famous demons uh, that they had was Pazuzu, which is allegedly the demon that's based in the fictional movie, The Exorcist. Um, that was the name of the demon in, in that movie, uh, Pazuzu. And he was uh, considered the king of wind. And oftentimes, uh, if the Mesopotamia society had a failed crop or dry season, they would blame, you know, Pazuzu uh, for, for that. And you can kind of see that uh, all throughout history, when something goes wrong, you know, we tend to believe it on or blame it on like an evil force or evil spirits. So it's really fascinating to kind of look at the socio-cultural background that comes with demonology as well.
0: But then, of course, Dr. Elliot, who wants to be guilty of anything, right? We need yes. to find a scapegoat. <laughs>
1: yes, exactly.
0: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
1: It wasn't our fault that you know we maybe didn't work as hard that year, or that the weather was bad. Uh, you know they have to blame it on evil spirits, right?
0: Yeah, and that was a Sumerian deity, of course, and he was one of the many gala, that's uh, um, the deities of the underworld. So we do go back to Sumeria, all the way back to Sumeria, to learn about deities. However, at that time. Uh, we already had the distinction between uh, angels. That's in the the sense that we understand them now good deities and bad deities. So they were not necessarily angels at the time. They were called angels, uh, uh, angels, right? Uh, Angelos uh, uh, later in the Greek uh, Hellenistic times. So they would uh, get the name angel, however, before they were all deities. And there was no distinction between them. On the nature uh, of their divinity, however, they had different characteristics, whether they were good or bad. And that's how we will know it.
1: Yes, for sure. There's, you know, uh, there's lots of societies that would say that they had good deities and bad deities. Um, same with, um, same with uh, the Quran. The Quran has negative jinns, and they also have positive jinns, uh, And a jinn would be considered, you know. If it's a positive jinn, then it would be considered like an angel in Roman Catholicism. And if it was a negative djinn, uh, then it would be considered like a demon. Um, you now, I'm obviously more familiar with the Roman Catholic um, perspective of demonology because that's what I was raised as was, you know, Roman Catholic. So that's kind of what I've studied mostly. But, um, you know, certainly every religion, uh, Buddhism, you know, believes in good and evil, Uh the ancient Egyptians had both uh, protective gods and protective you know, spirits, and they also had uh, malevolent ones as well. Um, Amut, for example, was one of theirs uh, that was considered to be malevolent. Um, he had a body that was part lion, part hippopotamus, part crocodile, and he would uh, allegedly devour the souls of the unworthy.
0: Which classification is he in?
1: Uh, so he would be considered a, a demon or a malevolent spirit. And uh, his name was Unruet.
0: Right? In Christianity? Yeah. But there are uh, no,
1: That was, that was uh, Egyptian. Egyptian. Egyptian uh,
0: okay. Yeah. Egyptian, this is very similar Egyptian. to Christian demonology. One of them would yeah. look like a, a behemoth, right? Yeah. And that, that yes. would be him as well.
1: Yeah. 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 And yeah. no, it uh, it, it's very fascinating. And then, um, you know, we saw... A real, sh- a real shift in uh, in in demon demonology uh, when we got into the sixteen hundreds with uh, witchcraft, because you know witchcraft ended up becoming associated with demonology, and that was uh, mostly in part through the Catholic Church promoting it like that, because they were really fearing paganism and the rise of paganism back then. So they would start to say that uh, you know the pagan gods are not gods; that they're demons and things like that so uh, I know uh, I know it became a touchy subject when I was teaching of course because you know they always say they never talk about two things which is politics and religion um, but Remember,
0: uh, we taught the very religious aspect correct so when we talk it's in social aspects right like if we go um, And socialize with somebody yeah politics and religion probably something that we should stay away from but you're teaching that subject and you have already audience that wants to learn that (laughs) so yeah i know
1: i i still i still had uh i still had some resistance which was uh which was interesting but i mean i always like a challenge so
0: oh internal um, resistance internal
1: yeah i well it was funny The, the person that had taken the course didn't uh they didn't believe in demonology but they were also pagan so Uh, I thought it was kind of interesting, like, if you didn't believe it and you have such strong, you know, paganism beliefs, like, why, like, why did you subject yourself to taking, taking the course, right? But, um, you know, to, to each their own, uh, like I said, I just prevented, uh, presented the facts. And, you know, I even bashed my religion, which is, you know, Catholicism, because the Catholic Church did do a lot of, you know, a lot of bad stuff, like linking uh, demonology to witchcraft. And, a lot of people during the Salem Witch Trials lost their life. So.
0: But at the same time, it's a religion. If we look at the religion from the critical standpoint, right, if we just step aside. I was thinking about today on the Karl Marx, I think he said that, that the religion is the opium for the masses. I don't know, it just came to my mind. Karl Marx, oh my God, I never even read him, but I remember. Thank God I didn't have to at the time, but uh, it was opium for the masses. So if we uh, just blindly believe everything that is told to us, we're not gonna go too far. We have to be able to distinguish what is truth and what is not. But at the same time, uh, we are um, pre-set by our own cultures families and societies and we believe in what we believe, like you are uh, Roman Catholic, correct? Mm -hmm, Yes. And you believe in that and it was very difficult for you to overcome that and also like you said they were bashing uh, Catholicism, however it wasn't really because uh, those are historical facts that you were stating and a lot of bad things happen in every religion when they try to establish themselves, uh, right, and establish dominion at the same time so the masses would uh, be obedient, and that's one of them. And uh, um, we remember about the, the Marius Maleficarum, if <laughs> you remember that the, uh, what's it called, uh, the Hammer of Witches of the 16th century, written by Kramer. He was the Roman Catholic uh, clergyman who is, uh, essentially... Banished women and blamed women for his own erotic and sexual uh, interests. And any woman uh, who was uh, a free thinker, who was uh, smart and beautiful, they were all hunt down and burned. And he is also giving uh, some characteristics of uh, our demons. I believe that he's... Uh, um, getting the list of some demonic entities and what do they do to women? And of course, uh, he was talking about men as well, but predominantly it was, uh, there were women. Uh, If we look back um, (laughs) at the Middle Ages, I am so happy that I live nowadays, people. I am so happy because otherwise I would have been burned at the stake a long time ago, probably several times, (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah i I think i often
1: think about that what it would be like to you know live by candlelight and a simpler time without uh electronics but uh yeah you're right Uh, the type of work that we do we we would have been probably crucified
0: (laughs) absolutely absolutely even going back to uh jesus times yeah that's for sure so we have to be um, really grateful that we live uh, in our modern times, even if we don't like them. And we say that every period, historical period, people have always been complaining all oh, these times, such, such awful times, and was depicted in literature uh, that oh, we need to change, it. the people try to change it the, uh, on the personal level and the societal level. And what? now we live here and in our times demon, demons did not uh, uh, really the concept of uh, demonic awesome did not go away and we still have it and if we were thinking of uh, the the progress technological progress that we have and pretty soon we will have uh, human robots right and we won't be able to distinguish between uh, human or inhuman so we still talk about demonology because it's such a pertinent uh subject
1: (laughs) yeah
2: yeah it it is and
1: uh I, i mean even today in the paranormal television shows or the paratainment shows um you know that's that's kind of what the networks are looking for they're looking for scary demons and, you know, you're starting to see more shows about demons and demonology, documentaries and things like that. So it's definitely a fascination by people, whether or not uh, you believe in them. Um, you know, uh, some people do, some people don't.
0: I heard Father Gary once said, Father um, Gary Thomas, uh, who was the protagonist for the movie The um, The Right," uh, where Anthony Hopkins played him. Yes, uh, He once said that, uh, that was um, so actually funny to me, because he probably didn't realize that he said it, uh, but to me, as a uh, European, having European roots, I would understand uh, what he meant by this. And he said the following. Uh, he said that uh, in the United States, we have less cases of possession than we have, uh, than e- e- that it- Italians do. <laughs>
1: Yes, um, the the Italians, I know, uh, started to have, uh, their system kind of got overwhelmed with exorcisms uh, at one point, and then the Vatican wanted to run some more exorcism courses because there are um, proper exorcism courses that uh, priests that are selected have to go for the training. In mm-hmm. fact, one, uh, one gentleman that we use, he's one of our religious parapsychological advisors, Uh, with PPRI. His name is uh, Archbishop uh, Plato Angelicus. He did his training through the Vatican um, as well. So if we have, you know, a demonic case that we need some consultation on, we'll we'll contact him. He's based in Ontario, Canada.
0: Well, the interesting thing uh, about that, uh, that the the reason that they have so many cases uh, is not necessarily that they do have more of them. and We have less here in the United States, is that it is a cultural understanding that the uh, um, possession doesn't exist in their folklore and culture t- traditions. Uh, first thing that they would think about uh, that because it is so embedded in their culture that something is wrong and there is some spiritual uh, activity behind it. Over, versus in the United States, uh, uh, why we don't have that many possession cases? Not because we have less of them but because we like to uh, diagnose people with schizophrenia, for example, right? We like to give them certain labels, which is perhaps rightfully so in certain cases, but at the same time, if the person uh, may have the case of possession, not necessarily just because it is not... uh, embedded in our culture such beliefs in the paranormal uh in the possession or even in spirits doing something behind the scenes uh for example even the the um in the christian population uh, many don't even believe that christians can be possessed you know how can oh, yeah. you have uh, a spirit uh, uh, also at the same time when the holy spirit is in your heart is in your soul so it is possible to be demonized that's what they say but uh uh, also, at the same time, the cases of possession are very much possible, just like uh, in Germany with analyst Michelle.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, Archbishop Plato, I had him come on as a guest speaker uh, when I was teaching the Introduction to Demonology course. And one of the students had asked about that case because, uh, you know, she's portrayed as somebody that was very pure, very religious, and uh, he he was explaining to us that when he did his uh, exorcism training, um, that they had talked about that over in Rome, and she had a vision at some point during her experience of the Virgin Mary, and uh, the Virgin Mary had told her that if uh, he wanted um, the Virgin Mary to help her get over, this demonic possession that she she could take it away from her, um, but she explained that basically if she goes through with it, then she's going to be considered like a martyr um, for for the demonically possessed. And uh, Annalise Michelle, you know, chose to, to go ahead and uh, and do that. Unfortunately, she you know she died from uh, during the autopsy. They you know, it was dehydration and malnutrition, and uh, the two priests were were charged but basically given time served and they were going to charge their parents but the uh you know the court kind of looked at their loss and um decided that that was you know that was probably enough punishment for them
0: yeah so cases like that uh, are um published and uh uh there's so many videos um very uh unpleasant uh Videos that you can actually find published uh, of uh, the voices that were coming out of her, which were not her own voices, and yeah, it's very
1: creepy. I, I play them in some of my lectures, uh, when I do public lectures in parapsychology, it's very, very disturbing,
0: very disturbing, and uh, we don't really want to hear that. Uh, While those demons they come uh, from the other dimensions, and we know, for example, in different religious currents, uh, 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 demons are actually considered um, like human-like, with human characteristics. The only thing that they don't have is a human body, which is very interesting. And uh, Zoroastrians, uh, for example, also that they, they have devas, right, devas and devas. And uh, they have a very interesting um, classification of their own uh, demons. But at the same time, what is a demon? If we look back into the history and uh, we look at the terminology demon, what is a demon? We will have to go back to Hellenistic Greece and understand that the demon was not pronounced as demon. He was a diamond. And diamond was... uh, actually the guardian angel in fact um, he was the, the uh, genius if we just looked at that he was a genius and this is where possibly the word uh, etymology of the word gene comes from because it is also in the Aramaic language that the Jesus spoke was Geniah meaning to hide so if we look at that uh, even the Roman genie, right? Genius. It's a a personal guardian angel. It's a diamond, diamond who uh, also can be uh, interpreted as your own personal um, companion that is helping you. And at the same time, also uh, be um, denoted as your destiny, as your fate. And we have to have this diamond, and we all do. Even if we say that we don't, like, for example, Hillman, uh, in his uh, writings on the acorn theory, it says that we all have our own diamond, And a diamond talks about our destiny and the plan in our life. And we need to listen to it, whether we know about it or not. We do listen to it. We call it intuition. We call it anything. Our guardian angels are talking to us. Our uh, the, the other mystical powers, uh, mystical guides that we have, spiritual teachers. So by looking at genes, uh, genies, genes. So, <laughs> here are those genes. <laughs>
1: <We're looking laughs> genes. Sometimes, sometimes but, genes can be evil if you can't put in them. <laughs>
0: that's right that's right Like, how come I cannot fit into them exactly (laughs) so true so true yeah and the the genies uh, they like you said they were neither good or bad however they would um, not be able to possess an individual on its own right unless the person was uh, weakened his willpower was weakened the person was sick or morally uh, weakened as well so spiritually weakened and only then they had an ability to enter their person so this is what's very interesting and the gene but it is not a, a concept that was uh, produced in Islam it was a pre-islamic a pre-islamic concept and possibly came uh, from Babylon from Babylon and from Sumeria. So now we look at genie and genie is such a nice, interesting thing that from the Hollywood movies, life is good, you know. But at the same time, if they were to see a real genie, they would be, oh, my God, get away from me. I don't want to see you.
1: (laughs) Yeah, uh, it's interesting because, I mean, obviously, like you said, uh, the definition of of demon can be very broad because it depends on uh, cultures and religions as well. Different cultures have different kind of process you know uh, perceptions and and religions have different perceptions of what they are like like i said in islam there's good and bad um in christianity now when we talk about demons it's it's all negative because if we were talking about positive demons then it would be angels um and uh yeah no it's 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 very fascinating uh most of it has to do when you hear about demons so it has to do with evil and uh negative kind of connotations and i also think that um there was a lot of misunderstanding of mental health back in those days as well like the ancient times and even uh you know even mid-century mental health wasn't really understood because you would talk about uh, schizophrenia and uh there's other kind of disorders as well that, that mimic uh, demonic possession, you know, like even though it's not a disorder, but epilepsy um, has often been associated with demonic possession because people, you know, look strange when they're having a seizure and, and uh, people didn't understand that. So they thought that, you know, you were being possessed by an evil spirit. So um, you certainly come a long way. I find it interesting that we still have... Uh, People like Dr. Richard Gallagher, that's a psychiatrist with Columbia University, we had him come and speak at the 2023 Halifax Paranormal Symposium, oh, And you know, he is a psychiatrist that believes in demonic possession and believes that he has screened people medically and psychologically and not found a DSM-5 diagnosis or a mental health diagnosis for them. And, you know, when he does come across that, he recommends, you know, the church go ahead and continue down the road of, of ordering and, and exorcism.
0: And he wrote the book, uh, Demonic Foes, uh, 25 Years of Investigation in Paranormal Cases uh, uh, that have everything to do with the uh, immediate possessions, and of course that he would not be involved otherwise. He Yes, he, uh, he,
1: he talked uh, more on a broad sense at the Paranormal Symposium, But um, he did mention that he had one case. I think her pseudonym is Jenny. I think he calls her Jenny. Um, But he did say that Blumhouse Productions is interested in making a movie about it because it was such a a pretty wild case. So uh, I I purchased his book when uh, we had our symposium. I just have to find the time to sit down and read it.
0: That's wonderful, that's wonderful. But the interesting thing about him is that uh, he's a renowned psychiatrist and he was actually hesitating even uh, publishing his book because at the time that he was thinking that uh, how could a person of his stance, of his professional stance, be thinking about uh, demonization, demons, uh, or even possession cases because the scientific community would never understand. But at the same time, he was so persuaded with all those cases that he was necessarily a, the immediate part of them, right, that he said, I'm going to publish it because there is an audience for that. And he considered that the, um, serious enough and weighty enough to publish it And he didn't care of the scientific community or what they're going to think of him. And of course, of course, I'm sure there was a lot of upheaval about that. How could uh, the mainstream psychiatrist uh, publish some some nonsensical thing like that, which is called uh, uh, pseudo-scientific writing, right? But nevertheless, if we look at a person like him, and if he wrote this extensive uh, uh, publication on the... Demonic possessions that uh, there is something, even for the very skeptical mind, to look into that and say, Listen, he is a psychiatrist and psychiatrist here in the United States, uh, um, teaching at the medical college, right? <clears throat> yes. And um, that uh, lots of people uh, should be even uh, checking out his book because it comes from the first hand uh, um, experience.
1: So it does, yeah. And uh demonic foes, it's called. You can get it off Amazon. Um and uh it's interesting because a lot of people at the terminal symposium were asking him how he makes a determination between mental illness and um uh demonic possession. And it's pretty much the same thing that we teach, you know, in, in demonology courses is you look for the supernatural phenomena that mental illness cannot provide. Um, such as the superhuman strength we often hear about—you uh, know—a very small petite person being able to fight off six or eight nurses at the hospital, um, speaking in unknown languages that they haven't been trained in or um, have no way of, you know, speaking fluently, um, having future knowledge, and uh, some of the mediums kind of of questioning that they're like oh does it like i'm getting future knowledge because i'm a medium does that mean that i i'm demonically possessed no uh, we're talking about things you know that they shouldn't know there's been times where exorcisms have been told things about themselves that the person that uh is having the exorcism done shouldn't shouldn't know um kind that, of, yeah, that is yeah, kind of future abnormal knowledge. And then of course, another big one is aversion to uh, sacred objects or symbols, so any religious uh, you know, texts or symbols or artifacts, anything like that, people can have a very uh, adverse reaction to. Um, you discussed uh, change of voice uh, in Annalise Michelle. Um, that's another kind of sign uh levitation obviously that's nothing to do with mental health that's a paranormal phenomena that would be fall under mind matter interaction of psychokinesis um very very specific and change in behavior uh so somebody that personality just seems to really switch and uh become aggressive or violent um want to do self-harm or harm to others uh, and then, of course, uh, like we said, the uh, change in attitudes and beliefs and their behavior. And I've seen some of those I at least, uh, in Exeter, Rhode Island. And there was a little boy that was being targeted by um, an, an evil spirit or, or a demon. And we, we saw some of these things with him. He started um, uh, his personality completely changed. He started to be really nasty to everybody. Uh, He was only four years old at the time. And I'll never forget, uh, he was this sweet little boy before uh, all this started to happen. Um, And he asked me one day, he said, do you you like Jesus, Elliot? And I said, yes, I like Jesus. And then he looked right at me and he said, you're gay. And uh, then we started getting calls from the school. The mom was getting calls from the school saying that his behavior had changed, that he wasn't washing himself after he went to the washroom like hissing at people like a snake which is another you know kind of symptom when people are acting like a serpent and and acting very strange like that there was one time uh i actually did it got some holy water from the church. we had we made the sign of the cross on his forehead and nose started to bleed never had a history of nosebleeds never had a nosebleed before that never had a, a nosebleed after that it was just that one time um, so you look for strange things like that, and it's not just one symptom, you have to look for, you know, as many that you have, for example, you know, somebody's hearing voices, that could very well be mental illness, as, as you know. Um, so you gotta, you gotta kind of look at the whole totality of the situation.
0: Totality of the situation, exactly. I have a question for you. Mm. I would really like to see your opinion on that. <clears throat> In uh, uh, position cases, there is this aversion to sacred objects, right? But at the yeah. same time, this is very interesting that the sa- sacred objects did not exist at the time of Jesus, if we look at that. Yeah, the sacred objects, they existed in uh, Judaism at the time. But then there were no sacraments, uh, uh, Christian sacraments at the time. And the uh, Christians did not become uh, a religion up until much later, Um there were different sects, of course, up until not the, the 325, I believe. Um, so the church devised those uh, religious rites, right? And yes. also the sacraments. So I remember, in conjunction with that, I remember that I was in the church one time, and it was years back, and I was so surprised as... The service was going on. It was a Russian Orthodox Church. As the service was going on in the singing, uh and everything, I saw two demons entering and coming so close. Um what is it called? Right to the doors when the doors are closing. What is it called? Um In Catholicism, it's also the case, right? I think. Um, in any case, all well, the images of saints and angels. Right. And he, the, the, both of them, they just came and sat right next to it. And they could not care less. They just sat and I could see one of the feet dangling in the air. This is how nonchalant they were. And I looked around and nobody else could see them. So later I asked um, the priest and I said, uh, how is it possible for demons to be able to enter the church? And he said, you know, so what? They want to come and check things out uh, for them. It is also so interesting what is going on in the church and they come. And to me, it was such a revelation that they were not, at all afraid of any religious uh, artifacts mm. so yeah it, well it's,
1: it's fascinating that you mentioned that because most people probably from tv uh believe you know that an exorcism is probably performed in, in one's bedroom but it's actually not the case it's uh almost as if you're taking your child to be baptized uh, most uh, exorcisms are actually performed in the church uh, so it would be kind of the same concept of bringing uh, a male or a female individual into the church uh, to be exorcised, and they can enter that church with the demon inside them. And, you know, not, uh, for lack of better words, bursting flames, you know, like in the movies, um, you know, they can come into the church. Uh, so, yeah, no, know it's, it's very fascinating. So some of the things that they'll do is, uh, you know, they'll they'll splash them with holy water, and uh, or regular water and kind of see what their reaction is. Um, there have been cases where people are possessed and they react, um, you know, as if the holy water is like burning them and it's not holy water, it's just tap water. Um, so perhaps it has something to do with belief. You know the power of belief is, is very powerful, so uh, we use it all the time. You know we think positively and we attract positive intentions. So if the demon is being sprayed with water, and they believe that it's uh, holy water. So uh, it's a placebo effect for them. Uh, you know that's that's one theory. Um,
0: that is other- so interesting. That's the place- could be placebo effect. That is fascinating to me. That yeah. Um, I've always been uh, uh, curious on how is this possible you know because if if we look back for example at the uh, say the 18th century there was uh, the Christian mystic uh, Emmanuel Swedenborg and um, he was a theologian he was a Christian mystic and he was a scientist but then he was revealed in one of his uh, dreams that uh, uh, on the nature of uh, demons and the nature of heaven and hell. And to him, uh, the demons uh, were identical to humans. Mm. This is so interesting, but to him it was really the separate two things of the heaven and uh, um, hell. What, whereas uh, William Blake, his contemporary, you know, and we all know him um, he in fact um, with the visions that he had and he made fantastic uh, pictures depicting the hellish realm um, he said that he came to the conclusion that there is no distinction between heaven and earth and all of the entities that are presiding we think somewhere in heaven or hell, which is under earth, they are all together in one space. And it is uh, all done for the benefit of humanity somehow. So if we look at the the demons and the origins of them, like we have discussed already that that they did not have, uh, uh, that there was no distinction between uh, uh, their uh, nature, divine nature. They just like yeah, there was a plus and minus put to them. They some were evil and some were good. But at the same time, if we look at the um, classification of demons, of different classifications of demons, we would find like for example, even the Quetia, uh, uh, right, uh, to the Lesser Key of Solomon uh, from the um, Testament of Solomon which is of course was not the um, uh, book that uh, was included into the Bible but at the same time it was uh, uh, very very interesting classifications of demons and how King Solomon actually built his temple with the um, help uh, of those 72 demons. Now there was uh, also another classification called Pseudomonarchia demonium. And that was uh, um, also uh, written in about the 16th century. However, they don't have 72 demons, they have 69. So all of the different classifications, they can have a different number of them. But then if we look at it, demons, a lot of the demons, what they're called demons, they have positive qualifications and also they have negative qualifications. So, for example, if we look at the the Kabbalistic tradition and the system of this the tree of life, if we look at that, then there are 72 uh, angels and also as the opposite, as the root system, if we look at would be um, really the mirror image going into the uh, underworld there would also be 72 demons as the opposite of 72 angels. So as the Hermetic tradition says, as above, so below. So it could be just one entity with different um, characteristics of positive and negative. And one of the more modern characteristics of demons actually does state that So they can be positive, they can be negative. And the negative, in fact, they're a part of our soul. They represent our shadow. So speaking in scientific terms uh, by Carl Jung, we need to be working with our shadow and overcoming it, uh, bettering ourselves and becoming good people, overcoming all of those uh, um, passions and evil Mm. inclinations, And by doing that, we will be ascending by working through our shadows. So so that is the path to enlightenment. So it was so interesting to me as uh, I have been um, researching demons and what they are because uh, uh, at the very beginning of uh, our civilization, for example, they were uh, the fallen angels. If we look at them, uh, the fallen angels, as we understand from the Old Testament, they were... The origin of them was uh, in the Sumerian tradition from coming from Anunnaki. In Anunnaki, of course, they had a god Enlil and god Enki. And what do we have a very similar uh, story when they were, um, uh, when they had the lesser uh, class of deities called Egigi? that were working to mine the gold just say that rebelled that rebelled i did not want to do that work anymore and god and he created humanity to work and mine gold and
1: that's right yeah
0: (laughs) and what's funny about it that they were considered deities gods in the uh The the early, uh, what would be the um, old Babylonian period, right? That would be considered God and positive. But then in the later Babylonian period, there would be the gods of the underworld. So throughout the history, all these deities that were jumping up and down, up and down, up and down, depending on the culture, depending on the historical period.
1: Yeah, that's that's very fascinating for sure. The uh, Anunnaki and... Um, their belief, and um, I've actually heard heard it be pushed as far as uh, talking about not necessarily like we we always hear about Michael the Archangel, for example, in Christianity. Um, but I actually heard uh, one person that interpreted the, the tablets as uh, Michael might actually have been a, a fleet of spaceship from the Anunnaki and Gabriel, the other archangel, uh, might have been another fleet of ships from the Anunnaki. And it was really, really fascinating to listen to people's uh, perspectives on that. But that is that is one big thing to keep in mind with Christianity, uh, with uh, demonology, is um, it is all about interpretation. If you actually look at the, the story in Revelation about uh, when uh, Michael the Archangel fought you know, Satan or the the great dragon, Uh, when they cast them out, they didn't say that they actually cast them out to hell. They actually said that they casted them down to earth. And uh, so some people have kind of interpreted that, that they're down here with us um, on earth. And that's, you know, that's where we end up uh, getting tempted by evil and, and possibly possessed at the absolute worst case because they're down here living with us. Uh, waiting for uh, you know judgment judgment day. Um, another kind of um, concept, uh, you know, about demons coming down to uh, to uh, earth is uh, that it's they're just kind of here in a temporary state with us until final judgment day, and then once judgment day comes, uh, then the demons will be cast to this other place and confined in hell. So it's really interesting that different you know, theologians, different historians, and even just different individuals have, you know, different beliefs and different interpretations. And uh, I mean, a lot of the texts that we get from ancient times, it, we have to kind of decipher and interpret, you know, so it can certainly be different meanings. And it's uh, it's a really interesting, but really complicated kind of area.
0: It is very complicated, indeed. It we is. are coming to you live on United Public Radio Network 107.7 and 105.3 FM, and you are listening and watching <clears throat> to Science and the Paranormal with Dr. Elliot and Dr. Yana. And we're continuing our conversation here. Let's talk about such an interesting topic as a dissociative identity disorder. I'm yeah. sure fascinates many people, and uh, it is still a very unresearched um, illness, Yes, not many therapists they want to deal with it, that nobody wants to uh, even work with people with a dissociative identity disorder.
1: Yes, we uh, we just talked about this a little bit uh, this past week in our Poltergeist course, because Uh, Dissociative uh, identity disorder oftentimes comes up with living agents in poltergeist cases as well. Uh, You know, it's a theory that's thrown around that um, uh, these individuals are suffering from DID or dissociative identity disorder. Uh, You know, they have multiple personalities. Uh, They can be totally, you know, have a total, like, different uh, behavioral pattern about them, speech pattern about them and when they slip into this other state they also suffer from memory loss so they might not necessarily know or remember what they were doing at that time uh, and there has been memory loss in demonic possession cases so when somebody is acting as if they're demonically possessed when they finally come back to the, their true selves they won't remember being demonically possessed which does kind of fit one of the symptoms of uh did
0: that is uh, very interesting because um DSM 4 I didn't find it in DSM 5 somehow. I um there is such a notion of uh, possession trance,
1: mm.
0: and a possession trance is a single or episodic alteration in a state of consciousness characterized by replacement. Of uh, uh, customary senses uh, of the personal identity by a new identity. So, if we have that um, in medical classification, in medical, um, in the, th- that the medical world is actually accepting this uh, phenomena, even giving it a name, that. Actually, stops being something extraordinary, and could be uh, viewed through the lens uh, of uh, the parapsychology. Correct? Um, Yeah,
1: parapsychology or psychiatry, if it's in you know, if it's in the the DSM. Did did you say it was in DSM five?
0: That was four. DSM four. I didn't find it in DSM five. But the thing is that they used to have the such a thing as a spirit release technique. In the past, I'm not quite sure whether they still use it in psychiatry to do that with the people suffering from dissociative identity disorder. But that was the um, uh, a very interesting technique of the past that they employed, and there were so many um, published cases of success.
1: So that's uh, yeah, that, that's interesting that they would have removed it. Uh- in the dsm5 um
0: yeah Yeah, that's a very interesting position trans so i guess we're moving forward if i didn't find out the dsm5 maybe four (laughs) four at least thought that that was uh um a very serious thing as a position trans so yeah uh, we can be looking at that because what i realized through my own research in hypnosis and working uh, with so many people doing also the past life regression and just simply the regressive uh, hypnosis, um, I've noticed that simple things, that having a good vision and having a bad vision changes under hypnosis. So I would hypnotize a person and bring them... Um, into the state, alpha state, and then I will bring them back. And they will still be hypnotized. They will be in a trance. And then I would tell them that they are able to see perfectly, and they do. So, what happens under hypnosis? Because if we are uh, going to hypnotize people with dissociative identity disorder, which uh, has to be really approached with caution. Um, Intra- uh, with an attempt to integrate in that way, that probably uh, could be a potential uh, success there as well. And of course, that I don't have that much of um, expertise here, but I know that under hypnosis, uh, people uh, that um, were hypnotized, they were able to perform completely differently than they would otherwise in a normal state of consciousness. Right. They would also be able to have not such superhuman powers, but they would be even, uh, their cognitive um, um, abilities would be enhanced. They would be able to tap deeper into their own uh, uh, reserves, intellectual reserves, and even physical reserves, and be able to do things that they were not able to do otherwise.
1: Mm. I just I, I just did a quick research well
0: uh-huh. well
1: uh, on uh, why they removed the possession trance from dSM5 so they claim that it was uh, as a part uh, to be more culturally sensitive because there are some cultures that uh, participate in religious and spiritual practices that involve possession trances so they actually uh, had removed it, uh, their cultural sensitivity you
0: know. They removed the cultural sensitivity?
1: They removed uh, possession trance because <laughs> of cultural sensitivity, yes.
0: This is very interesting because I remember that, uh, uh, what is this, uh, PMS? PMS that women have, for Pete's sake, once a month in the dsm four I believe, it was considered a mental illness. So whatever that they put there, whatever take it away, is not necessarily the indication of them being correct. So, yes. it is not a mental illness, damn it. It is not a mental illness. <laughs> we women have to take a stance. It is not a mental illness. That... <laughs>
1: that's, uh, <laughs> that's,
0: men that's That is just not supposed to be. So, um, this is very interesting that um, even if they took it away on the cultural implications,
1: yes. it does yeah. not
0: remove those cases from every single culture of the world. All of them, yeah, yeah, exactly. You,
1: you'd have to take it into context, you know, if you're dealing with like a, an African tribe or, or something like that, uh, or some sort of tribe that you know does scary religious and spiritual practices, then yeah, you have to kind of separate them from you know just your typical person that might walk in, in your door that is. But then we
0: don't go to Africa and we don't uh, do our research there, right? So for mm. what we have done, one of the studies was done with 236 uh, uh, cases. And they have discovered that, okay, so um, uh, so they interviewed people. And 86% of the alters were children. Helping spirits were 84%. Demons were 29%. Death relatives, 21%. So if we look at that, they will tell you what they are. Now, there's uh, uh, the question whether we medically believe them or not, you know. But uh, um, dissociative uh, identity disorder comes to 1.5% worldwide. And it doesn't matter whether it's the United States, whether that's in Italy. Uh, whether that's in Africa, we still have all those cases. However, nowadays, my fear is that uh, with all the um, woke culture, my fear is that um, even with dissociative identity disorder, with a tendency of uh, um, preserving the identity of people and really believing their personal narrative, Whether that is also going to fall into that category and the clinicians would be treating identity disorders, dissociative identity disorders, as such as having the uh, right to exist on their own without trying to integrate them. So that's, I've been thinking about that. Maybe that's a crazy thinking, but that really crossed my mind several times. No, I don't think.
1: I don't think it is crazy. I mean, we live in a, a cancel culture kind of society now, and you know, uh, we're trying to remove parts of history. You know, we see that with uh, removing statues and changing street names and and things like that. Uh, you know, well, you can't really erase history. Or hide history, you know, you have to learn from, from the mistakes. And I think it's important to share everybody's side of the story. So, um, yeah, it's it's interesting that they would have removed that.
0: Yeah, you know, so that's food you know. uh, for thought, right? Uh, <laughs> exactly. The cancel culture, we're canceling that as well. Um, if we uh, look okay. at schizophrenia, schizophrenia cases of 1 in 300 people, and it's increasing somehow, nowadays it's increasing the numbers, that would be 0.32% worldwide. And what does this make? Uh, 24 million people. And of That's course, we have less cases in the United States that put people into hospitals, right? Because they become a threat to themselves and a threat to the society. Um, and we don't necessarily look into the religious component. We don't have this frame of reference from which to walk toward the understanding of schizophrenia, either to let those people tell their stories or actually allow them to go to those uh, spiritual emergency places where it would be under the um, observation for several days a, a week or two perhaps so that yes. is a possibility but not nowadays because uh um our pharmaceutical um, field so to say uh is gonna become really poor if we just take it away from them <laughs> you know use medication so
1: yeah and uh and schizophrenia like you said uh it's a In terms of human history, it's a relatively recent, uh, you know, diagnosis, really, if you think about it. Um, There there are some historical texts dating back to the ancient and medieval times, you know, especially during the uh, witchcraft uh, era in the 1600s, but also uh, before Christ, even in ancient Egypt. There have been lots of reports of people... uh, Displaying signs of schizophrenia, but of course, back then they wouldn't have had any idea what that is. So, um, again, it's uh, and that kind of goes back to about all the stories that we hear about, uh, you know, uh, in the ancient times about uh, demonic possession. Maybe there wasn't as many demonic cases back then as we think there was just because there was such a poor understanding of mental health back then. Uh, and unfortunately when pieces are so old like that you can't really go back and reinvestigate them because they are just not the you just don't have the evidence there to to, to go back and, and look at it
0: it was cool perhaps a divine madness at the time right and if you look at the culture um and i know that it's the in the slavic culture a lot the fools uh, in the literature. <laughs> I have a background in literature, so that uh, um, very interesting observation that I had is that uh, uh, the Russian um, Russians would have um, concept of a fool, and a fool was close to God. And of course, if we look uh, uh, at the, the scripture, biblical scripture, it would say that the fools are close to God, right? That God uh helps those who are poor in their spirit and not necessarily those people were so um uh, stupid they were not dumb at all they were called fools but at the same time they were divine fools through whom divine wisdom was uh flowing to people and they were considered actually with respect they were respected people Uh, not necessarily that that, they would have any position in the society. This is not what I'm applying. They live on the street. They're essentially homeless. But nevertheless, there was this uh, uh, phenomena of uh, divine fools. So this divine madness probably. So if someone was walking in the street uh, uh, um, in Egypt, uh, speaking rubbish and uh, waving hands and talking to himself, that would not be anything weird because that was a part of the society. Nowadays, you go outside. Yeah, you see homeless. Here in San Diego, we see lots of homeless people. And they talk to themselves. Lots of mental illness there. We don't think that they're divinely possessed. We don't stop and listen to them. <laughs> right? We walk away.
1: The next, so- time Sarah, the next time Sarah calls me a fool, I'm going to tell her that I'm a divine <laughs> fool.
0: Exactly. <laughs> Some divine fool.
1: I'm a divine fool. I like that.
0: <laughs> so yes.
1: that's funny. Um, yeah, no it's it's interesting. Are you familiar with any uh, Russian versions of demons?
0: Russian uh, there is a Christian uh, uh, classification which is uh, Catholic. There's also Russian Orthodox but they are very similar, they're very similar. I don't know particularly of a, of a separate classification, demonic classification, but I know that it does exist and, but not, uh, I'm not quite too familiar with that. I know there's a lot of um, uh, literature on the lives of the saints in Russian mm. tradition. I believe it's more than <clears throat> in Catholic, because that was really revered and understood as um, something very special to the culture. Uh, I don't... There's not that much um, information, I believe, in the literature, although um, the Russian... um, Now, he's um, Ukrainian. He was from Ukraine. uh, Writer, his name was Gogol. uh, The first name before he changed to Gogol was Yanovsky. And he was writing a lot on the folklore and things that were happening uh, in Ukraine uh, a couple of centuries ago that would be depicting the true folkloric understanding of the demons. And there um, there were a lot of um, movies that were done based on those folklores. And so interesting, and this is how we uh, learned about the, even demons, about the demonic manifestations and behavior, because otherwise uh, in a modern society, we don't really think about it. I remember not um, at the time when I lived uh, in that haunted house for 10 years, I remember the one time I saw something that the would be similar to this folkloric uh, narratives uh, of Russia and uh, Ukraine and actually the Slavic narratives uh, I remember that the, my daughter she was um, eight months old probably and then she would wake up at one o'clock in the morning every single night and I wouldn't even get any sleep whatsoever one o'clock it was just uh was midnight or one o'clock all the time and you just like you essentially slide off your bed and you walk on your fours into her bedroom thinking like what is happening so that was we could never figure it out why she was crying uncontrollably and we couldn't even consult her up until one time i said okay I get off bed. I'm not even saying that I'm coming because I was so mad. I did not announce my coming. I was so mad. And imagine like not sleeping every single night. So I walk into that room and I look at her crib. And there is the demonic entity sitting on the edge of her bed, swinging his foot that is closer to the floor and playing with her as if she's a cat and the child is crying and screaming and uh, that entity, it just blew my mind when I saw something like that in my own house and the t- entity was um, uh, looked like, uh, of course, the body of a donkey that was walking on his, uh, um, on two feet, uh, uh, was gray covered with hair and the nose was actually uh, the nose of a pig with ears and uh, long tail. All I didn't say get out of here. <laughs> what else can you wow. do? Yeah. So that entity, oh my god, that entity, walk, had the guts to walk right by me in the doorframe, walk right by me, went into my bedroom, went into my closet, and disappeared in the ceiling. I'm like, what is going on? What is going on? So I turn on the lights and I go into my closet. And I look at the ceiling, and there was the um, entrance to the attic, which I never knew existed. By so many right. years there,
2: and yeah, I looked. Yeah. At
0: the, it was an entrance to the attic. So that entity went into that entrance and was hopping on the um, roof, and finally jumped off and stood outside by the big. Uh, um, we had a one of those. Uh, huge uh, standing lights. They're the street lights. So it was very bright. And I saw it standing outside. And as soon as it tried to move in, I actually opened the door and said, don't move it, don't even think about it. And it didn't. So they obey our own free will. So if we look at our folklore, for our fairy tales, mythology, and if we see something there, that people before us already depicted and wrote stories about it, that it is quite possible that we can see it now as well. So.
1: Very, yeah, very interesting. And uh, and like you said, um, you know, with folklore and mythology and religion and cultural values, it all gets passed along and sometimes it, it slightly changes, but there's been so many reports of creatures with like, Kind of like half human half animal body parts uh like i'm thinking of the wendigo for example that's often reported in native american uh, cultures you know the wendigo kind of looks like uh, kind of half a little bit kind of like a human but it also has like the the antlers and uh, yeah just like very almost like uh hoofs for feet and you know, uh, I, I think there's actually a Russian kind of like version of the hag or the witch. And uh I think it's called Baby Yaga. Have you heard of Baby Yaga?
0: Not the Baby Yaga.
1: Oh, Baba Yaga. Sorry, no. Baba Yaga. Baba Yaga? Baby, baby Yaga. Yeah, that sounds too
0: cute. To, so to, <laughs> that
1: sounds too so cute. too cute. We have to make it sound a little bit yeah, evil. Yeah, Baba Yaga. Well, Baba Yaga is it, just uh, a habit,
0: but at the same time. As like chicken legs or something she lived in the tr- uh, in the treehouse essentially that the, um in a hut that had chicken legs that's true but yeah, the yeah. thing is that over the centuries that story uh which originally slavic story we we'll call it pagan which nothing pagan to me right the slavic uh, mythology and traditions uh before christianity she used to be young beautiful woman who cared for the children, who cared for the sick. And she was so benevolent and people would come to her when they were sick, she would be treating them with herbs. And then uh, with the coming of the Christianity, lots of uh, uh, mythological stories, lots of uh, folkloric stories, they were changed into very negative uh, uh, characters. Like for example, this Baba Yaga. We call him Yaga and somehow uh, it is, um, the stress is falling on the first syllable, which is uh, wrong, Baba Yaga. So she used to be this young and beautiful uh, goddess, which was changed later.
1: Mm. And see, that's that's the problem with demonology as well, is that we don't know what the original information is. Like, here's a character in Russian folklore, like you said, that was... Uh, you know, not malevolent. They were benevolent, beautiful, good, and then all of a sudden, it gets changed to. Uh, it's actually a negative entity. It's kind of referred to as a hag. Um, you know, so it's it's very difficult to kind of come to conclusions on on things that are so historical. It's, it, it is very difficult. You know, yeah. If we,
0: if we look at the the religions. Uh that um, came after the previous religions that ceased to exist at the time, <clears throat> they were based their mythology on the mythology of the previous religion. Or, of course, like you know about the syncretism, that they would be taking the deities of uh, other religions and uh, uh, syncretizing them with their own. And, of course, they would have some characteristics of the one that they used to have. Like, for example, if we look at the Canaan uh, land uh, before the Jews came here, that was their promised land. If we look at that, a lot of the deities that existed in the Canaan um, religion were adopted by the Jews later. And the same is um, with the god Marduk, for example, right? And the Marduk was, uh, um, he's a negative uh, entity in the Bible, But he was a king, Marduk, as well. But uh, some say he was the uh, son of Enki. Uh, If we will be tracing them... Well, of course, comparative religion does it all the time. If we look at that, we will see that some positive deities migrated over centuries into this negative entities called demons. Mm. The kings, previous kings, they were... Uh, turn into demonic entities as well. So when they had positive connotation, they would have the, the opposite, completely opposite. And of course, the the culture that, that would um, come later in the generations that would uh, come up, they will all believe that it's negative.
1: Yes. You know what? I, I think they had that uh, cancel culture back then too. Because here? I, I, said, I said, I think they had cancel culture way back then, too. Because they they seem to be canceling everything, you know, from good good deities and bad deities and good demons and bad demons. I think they had uh, culture, uh, cancel culture
0: back then. That's very interesting. You know, one time, as I was doing uh, uh, my own research and I was uh, drawing, and I like to draw, So, uh, when I have visions, I would just uh, uh, draw, whether they come in meditation or in prayer, I would just uh, make a drawing or even whatever I saw in the homes of those people that I would investigate, and even my own, or uh, the cases that I would investigate with people, not necessarily that go into their homes. I have uh, noticed that... Hold on. What did you notice? It just the thought just left me. It's it's demonic, it's demonic, it's oppression. <laughs> what did I notice? What did you just say? Oh, the canceling, right? The um, yeah. oh canceling. Oh my god. The canceling culture. Yeah. Hmm. It just slipped my mind, went to the unconscious. <laughs> can you imagine that? Well, <laughs> it will come hmm. to me. Can't can believe it. Um hmm. Canceling. In any case, it will come to me. <laughs> it's only eight twenty-five my time.
1: I know. It's it's twelve twenty-five a.m. my time.
0: And you're nice and alert. And I'm I'm already like falling asleep. My brain I, is like I don't want to talk. Let I know me. I had
1: go. a couple of coffees. I was I was excited to get on here and talk about demons and <laughs> yeah. It, it,
0: it, Uh, Ah, with demons. You know, it can be funny, but at the same time, it can be really scary to us humans because uh, we don't uh, have any frame of reference. Oh, I remember that. Oh, my God, I remember that. Before I forgot, I'm going to shoot it. So what happened is that I would be um, drawing them, right? And then all of a sudden, (laughs) I was uh, uh, in Barnes & Noble. It was years Mm -hmm. back. I was in Barnes & Noble in one of the big... Fat books on a display was called demonology, demons. And I'm like, hmm, I don't really like it, but let me just look inside. I don't like it, but it was badly put myself, but I'm going to look inside. I looked inside, Dr. Elliot. Yes. And to my horror, I understood that a lot of the entities that I had seen myself were depicted already by other people. published Mm. so we can't really um, we can cancel it out and present it as good only probably in the uh, context that demons what we call them can also have positive um, characteristics a lot of them in many uh, demonic uh, classifications they have positive characteristics. They teach science, they teach math, they teach um, people uh, um, how to write poetry, poems, literary. Um, uh, that's it. My brain said, I need to go take a bath. You know, I need to go to have some more milk. I need to go to sleep, you know. So while those uh, demons can do some nasty things, at the same time, a lot of them do have positive qualities that teach humanity to progress the science forward. And now when they teach humans about it, now what do we have to do to pay for that knowledge? Perhaps like in uh, fairy tales, we have to pay for that knowledge, correct? And we yes. pay maybe with our genius. And the genius nowadays, they just considered uh, some exceptional uh Mm, intellectual qualities, correct. When it was given to us, most certainly so, given to us by our own genies. Whether it's genes, genies, or Daimon, our personal angel, guardian angel, whatever, you know. So. It's uh, it's fascinating, of course, and I'm not the, uh, asking people to go out and just seek demons and ask them to give them some, you know, to, to, to make them uh, the first uh, uh, scientists of the world <laughs> because <laughs> this is not going to happen, right? Um, uh, we have to be very careful dealing with them. However, even uh, in the... Uh, for example, Jewish depiction of the gene, and they also had that concept which was uh, called shidim, right? They also had so many different characteristics that were from different cultures that collectively became jinn, became shidim, right? So yep. what did the clergy do in order to help people? They were getting their names of those genes that are in the people, Right? now we call them demons they were a gene at the, at the time in the entire region they were had to get their name and believe it or not, all those genes they could also uh, have different faith, they could have Islam, they could have Christianity, they could have Judaism, which is fascinating to me, I don't know who came up with that idea, but it's so fascinating and uh, they were negotiating their exit Negoti-
1: it's interesting that you mentioned, you know, like good demons because, uh, when you go back and look at some of the other history as well, a lot of the other religions and cultures used to believe that they're bad demons today. were good. Uh, I know in Japanese folklore, uh, I believe that they call their demons, uh, oni, 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 and uh, back then, um, they were kind of like protective spirits and. Now they're kind of more portrayed as uh, you know malevolent and uh, negative, and same with uh, Hinduism, um, Asuras used to be considered uh, kind of good and they would uh, protect from evil. But over time, the Asuras are now kind of more associated with uh, malevolent deities. So I think it goes back to our theory that they had caste culture and wealth culture back then too.
0: Yeah. So if we look at that, at the time, uh, they were doing whatever they wanted to do, right, with that. Uh, and uh, uh, now with this, this canceling culture, maybe the, we are uh, witnesses of a very interesting phenomena right now, that, that perhaps all these demons are going to become the, um, uh, we'll start having the positive qualities if we look at how media promotes uh, through different kinds of films and uh different documentaries uh you watch
1: mark by words after this podcast we're going to start seeing the evil demons become good demons again and they heard it first on science and the paranormal
0: (laughs) exactly exactly we called it we called (laughs) the rats out that's that's how it is going to be and which yeah, means- no, it is, it is
1: fascinating, though. Uh, I agree with you, you know, how, how a lot of these cultures and religions had, you know, positive spirits, and it was all good stuff, and then uh, it somehow over history changed to being considered negative and malevolent, and that's kind of the society that we're in right now. Like I said, the TV networks just love that stuff. The, the scarier and the more evil that you can present a case, the more that the networks like it
0: yeah you know uh, with um, dealing with demons um, demonic entities I can't really say where demons or not and uh, they all have so many different names uh, just like they uh, used to happen before and you have to get a name I also get the name I get the name and this is how I'm able to deal with them and the interesting thing is that, that those uh, negotiations uh, that the Hebrews had at the time uh, we have it in uh, archetypal psychology. You know, we also, we negotiate with these archetypes that what do they want from us. You know, we negotiate their exit as well. So um, how does that differ with um, um, science and religion? Where do we put that line, Dr. Elliot? Where do we draw that line? Where?
1: (laughs) That's a good question. Where where do you?
0: I don't think that we're gonna be able to solve it today, but we can at least uh, theorize uh, and hypothesize about it and uh, try to find some solutions uh, for it because there were people behind us, behind, before us and behind us while they're standing there with their books, massive books of research. And uh, we are based, our own research is also based on their writings, right? And whatever they could have uh, um, dug out, and they did. And that's how we can come to understanding of uh, what we know now.
1: Yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's very true. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's fascinating, and, and that's why I always get uh, my students as well to, you know, do do your do your own research as well, uh, because it's important to kind of dig into the stories. You know, uh, when you teach a course, it's only kind of surface level, and um, you know, like even just tonight, us discussing, it, it's it's interesting to kind of see that we've noticed a, a change, like what we see today in modern society. We see a, a lot of change from benevolent spirits that were good and. Helpful uh, that were later on converted over to being negative and evil. And, um, you know, it. Uh, who's right? And, and and who? Who tells us that that it's right?
0: That's absolutely true. Uh, it is very important to also understand that all the great teachers um, throughout the ages—they never said, "Follow me" and "Believe me," what I said. They would also always say that this is my story. This is how I see it. This is how I believe it. Find your own way. Even Jesus never said, follow me. He said, also, be a good person, you know, but believe in God, my father, uh, in in his case. But at the same time, he did not create that cult of Jesus that became Christianity. Mm
2: -hmm. So uh,
0: they would all say, find your own way. And if uh, uh, we have listeners and viewers as well, I would really encourage everyone to start thinking on their own and not actually believing everything that you see. Have a critical mind. If you, for example, see something uh, or through the prayer or uh, through meditation that something comes to you. Uh, write it down, do your own research, Uh, ask, um, but be very careful, we have to always uh, protect ourselves before we deal with any type of uh, negative entities, and there's so many different ways, perhaps we can discuss them in the future episodes, but um, I wouldn't go and uh, start communicating with them and asking them for favors. (laughs) because that would not be the right thing to do. And Dr. Elliot is going to tell you that that this is the case. Don't do that. Don't do that. Otherwise, Yeah. And
1: that's, and that's the thing. If you, if you believe in modern demonology today, you'll often um, hear um, a lot of stories about, especially uh, when you talk to exorcists, that once somebody is exorcised from possession, they kind of have a void in their life. They almost feel like they're missing something because that, entity even though it was negative and causing them a lot of chaos in their life it kind of filled up some sort of void that was in them some sort of void that they had opened up to receive that demon at some point point. and sometimes especially in the early stages when the demon's trying to gain your trust they almost become like a friend to some of these some of these individuals because they're giving them kind of a little snippet of future information that might turn out to be true and, uh, you know we often hear about uh, demons presenting themselves to children as uh, another child they'll take the form of another child and they do things to kind of gain your trust so um, it's definitely something you have to be concerned about uh, communicating you know with spirits and things like that because we don't know really who who's on the other side. And even, even from talking to mediums, when I interview mediums and talk to them, I know that they can kind of sense whether something's a male energy or a female energy, but when asked, you know, if, some, if somebody was a prankster, for example, and you could tell that they were like a male entity, um, are you able to exactly tell that that entity is John Smith? Because they're the ones, the spirits are the ones giving them that information and they oftentimes the ones i've spoke to say no like i can just kind of tell that it's a male entity and you can kind of sense like whether they're good or or bad but if you had like a trickster on the other side they could be feeding that medium you know false information and then Seriously. that gets it happens uh, in the time. gets inherently fed back to the investigative team to kind of throw off you know throw off your investigation so um like dr yana said you always have to have that critical mind
0: Have a critical mind or actually find some professionals. If you are in trouble, if you think that you're having some sort of problems uh, in the spiritual world or something is bothering you that uh, you want to get solved, find the right professional, people who know. And uh, I don't uh, disregard psychics at all. What I'm saying is that find the one that is trustworthy, who actually... Knows what they're talking about uh, probably by reputation and it's not you have to be also watching how much money you're giving them because there are lots of crooks out there and uh, by just um, calling the uh, psychic even on the phone I just recently had a a case like that the person a young man called the psychic on the uh, psychic line over the phone and asked some questions. Before you knew it, oh, my God, she was threatening him because he did not want to subscribe to her services and buy $2,000 rock stone. Oh, wow. And she cursed him.
1: Yeah, the uh, there's still lots of scams out there, unfortunately. I mean, that's how parapsychological investigations begun was investigating scams, and uh, they still exist today.
0: But even if that was a scam at the same time, there so, um, can be unclean people with unclean spirits. So just by saying few words like, let you be cursed or uh, uh, you will never be happy, by just the pre- producing this type of energy that is directed at this person could actually make uh, it stick to him and to his destiny. And why? Because he opened the door. Because he opened the door and he gave permission to this person to enter his life. And the thing is that it doesn't matter uh, uh, that I warned the, him not to do that, and he did it again. And that actually, I hope that he will never do it again, but because uh, uh, his life uh, almost was ruined at the time. Uh, but it's we always have to be careful, always have to be careful. Who we're talking to, who we're getting the information from. Absolutely, and not dabbling into the cult if you don't if you don't know what it is. <laughs>
1: Absolutely, because
0: no, everything is real. Yeah. Well, we have had such an incredibly interesting conversation, Doctor Elliot.
1: We have. It was very, very, uh, very fascinating, and uh, yeah, hopefully, it resonated with some of our listeners out there.
0: Yes, and I hope that uh, you learned something new today. And I hope that you join us uh, uh, for future episodes. That would be wonderful, absolutely wonderful. And please send us your questions, because we want to answer your questions, whatever questions that you have. Uh, we will do our best to respond.
1: Yes, if you have any questions, please uh, email us at and the paranormal at ppri.net or visit our website at www.scienceandtheparanormal.com. Paranormalpodcast.com.
0: Absolutely. We'll be waiting for your questions and comments. This was uh Science and the Paranormal podcast uh, with Dr. Yana and Dr. Elliot. We're gonna go to sleep soon. <laughs> on really the United powerful. Public Radio Network 107.7 and 105.3 FM. We are wishing all of you good night and hope that you join us next time. Good night.
1: Good night. See you next week, guys. Next week.